people to not return void, that in Christ we can have hope. And uh, Lord, that we can have hope even in the midst of hard circumstances. And thank you for this day in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have not been with us, um, or you've not been here while we are continuing in this, this uh, wonderful epic called The Story, um, was, it, it, it's a book about this big, and it's an excerpt from the Bible, but it takes main themes, main people from the beginning of time to the end, um, and it points us to God's plan of rescue or redemption, um, His heart for humanity, and so it's literally, it's scripture, it's excerpts of scripture, and we've been looking at these themes as we've been moving along, we're actually coming kind of down to the home stretch here, and um, last week we talked about the coming um, promise of the Holy Spirit. We got through the Old Testament. We talked about the ministry of Christ on the earth. He left. He, was, he died. He was resurrected. And then the promise of the Holy Spirit to the church. We looked at Acts 2 and how the Holy Spirit came upon that first group. It was a wildfire that began the church. It was the birthplace of the church there in Acts 2. And then we looked at what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit and what He would do when He came. And then his work in and through us. I'm not going to get into all that. If you want to hear that, you can get the video online and, and listen to that. But we specifically looked at the beginning of the book of Acts. And that was where the story kind of was at the beginning of the church and how the church came into being. Um, as the book of Acts progresses, we see the church growing. Um, we see God using the apostles to spread the gospel of Jesus in word and in power. And it was a time of great growth of the church, and it was, but it was also a time of great persecution because there was heavy resistance to Christianity. And so you have kind of two things going on. It's, it's, it's the church is growing. God is saving many people. Uh, the Lord was adding to their number of people that were coming to know Christ, and yet there was intense persecution of Christians at the time. Today we pick up the story, we're going to be looking at the life of Paul and his message, his, a little bit of his ministry, and ultimately his message to us. Um, this character, Paul, we find him in the book of Acts, and we're going to be talking a little bit about him. And outside of Jesus, obviously, who is the central figure of it all, it's all about him. Paul is a major player in the entire New Testament. He wrote 13, arguably 14, uh, because the book of Hebrews, there's always the theological debate of who wrote that book because there's no author to it. Um, arguably, Paul wrote that book, but that's neither here nor there. But uh, So he wrote almost, all, uh, almost half of the entire New Testament. And all these letters that he wrote, these, these books that he wrote. And so... We're going to look at who he was, why he is such a major player in the New Testament, and so I want to look at his conversion to Christianity, his calling, and then his message to us. Is that okay? As we move along here. So who was he? Before he was Paul, his name was Saul. I'm not going to read a lot of scripture because we're going to get into scripture here in a moment where I'm going to, I'm going to be hitting some scripture pretty um, hard and heavy. We're going to go through um, pretty quick. But he was, his name was Saul before Paul. He was a Pharisee of the highest order. In other words, he was the cream of the crop. He, was, he had memorized the entire Old Testament. This guy knew the law backward and forward. He was a guy who would have been considered... You know, kind of the top of his class as, as it pertained to being a Jew and, and, and knowing the things that Jews would know as a rabbi, as a teacher, as a Pharisee. He was passionate, he was zealous, and yet he violently opposed Christianity. This guy hated Christians. 
So it's interesting that God would end up getting a hold of him. He was of the same mindset of the religious people who were so against Jesus while he was on the earth. Saul didn't believe that Jesus was becoming Messiah. In fact, he was convinced that it was heretical to believe such a thing. He opposed the, the, the first church to the point of conspiring to round them up and have them imprisoned or executed. So this is Saul. This guy is he's violently opposed. He's not just saying, I don't agree with it. He's rounding them up and he's having them killed. And so he was even there at the first recorded martyr of the New Testament, Stephen, in Acts 7 and 8. He was one of uh, the, the first appointed deacons uh, of the church. And so um, he, they, they conspire against him, and he's giving a testimony, and they turn on him, and they stone him to death. And it says that Saul was sitting there in full agreement for, uh, of Stephen's death, so he watched in approval. So the church is alive, but great persecution was all around, and Saul is one of the major players of the persecution. Believers were scattered. They were in hiding. And it says this in Acts 9 of Paul, he was eager to hunt down and kill followers of Christ, even asking for letters of permission to begin to travel around and, 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 and get them. And so one faithful day, he's got letters and he's going to Damascus. You can find this story in Acts chapter 9. And he's going to go round up the believers in, in, in Damascus. Here's one problem. On his way, he runs into Jesus. As the story goes, he is with some uh, of his followers. They are on his way, and it says a light shines out of the sky. It knocks him to the ground. It blinds him, and Jesus speaks to him and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he is saying, oh, okay, who are you? I, I, don't, I don't know who you are. He is in fear. He said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. And so... Needless to say, he has a change of heart. In a very uh, in a very dramatic way, he has a change of heart. And he actually goes into the town, and uh, you know, Jesus speaks to him. He is converted to follow Christ. And he has a guy pray for him. He receives this sight. And he ultimately, he becomes the greatest preacher, the greatest apostle for the church. And so, this conversion is so amazing to his, his, his life in that it speaks to us. Here, here, here's what you need to know. Do not give up on people that you think are beyond God's reach. Just read Acts 9. If you have somebody that you've been praying for them, and you're like, I don't think they're ever going to convert to Christianity. They're so hard of heart. I, I don't know. Read Acts 9 so that you can have some faith. And, and, and if, 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 if God can get a hold of Saul, he can get a hold of anyone. And so... There is no one beyond the reach of God. So he repents, he surrenders his life to Christ, and he becomes his main apostle and first church planter. So interestingly, this Jew is converted to Christianity, and then he's called to bring the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles and plant churches among the Gentiles. And so Jesus changes his name from Saul to Paul. I like that, that that there's a, a change of identity. When we surrender our lives to Christ, when we give our lives to Christ, Paul writes in Second Corinthians that we are new creations in Christ. So we have a new identity. The old is gone, the new that we're becoming new, we're becoming more like Christ, and he changes his name. 
And here's the cool thing for us. Through Paul's conversion and his mission, today we are benefactors of that. Because the statement was that salvation wasn't just for the Jews. Christianity and Christ following was not just for the Jews, but it was for us too. For all who would believe. So he begins to spread the message of Jesus to the non-Jewish world. And God began to speak to the apostles that the gospel was for everyone. And during this time, we see God's intentions unfold for all of humanity. That the story of redemption and rescue was for all who believe and put their trust in Christ. Paul's converted. God calls him. He starts spreading the gospel of Jesus and the kingdom through missionary journeys. Uh, the middle part to the end of the Acts, um, we are highlighted. We are given three missionary journeys that Paul takes with some companions to spread the gospel among the Gentiles. And you can, um, again, I'm not going to dive into that today, but he goes um, through, through this region to minister to, to Gentiles. And he's planting churches and he has companions. Some of the places he goes and he's there physically. Others, he sends some of his companions and they're planting churches and they're spreading the gospel of the kingdom to all in that region. And so during these years, the gospel is spread throughout. Uh, and and you, again, you can look at maps and you can see where he ministered in his, uh, in his missionary journey. We're not going to get into all of that today. But many received Christ with joy, but others didn't. There was opposition. There was persecution. There were hardships. There were struggles. Paul was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was chased down. He was conspired against. It was kind of a love-hate thing with Paul wherever he went. Some people just said, we want to hear your message and we love Christ and we are coming to Christ. Others violently opposed him and he was again persecuted, beaten with rods, sent to prison. In fact, one place of interesting, he's teaching with such authority, he and Barnabas, and they want to, they want to make them gods. I mean, they want, to, they want to say, you guys are gods and we'll worship you. And he's like, no, you're missing the point. I'm not God. Jesus is God. He's trying to point people to Christ. And so one place they're gods, the other, another place is mobs to, to, to take them out. And so what, what kept him going? What made him want to continue to do this? I mean, because you can look at the, some of the things that he suffered and he went through some I mean, he was, he was, in his ministry years, he was in prison way more than he was out preaching. And you could think of be one sense of saying, I didn't sign up for this. I, Jesus, I, I, thought, I thought we were going to have this great thing going, you know, like, uh, you know, I serve you and you make my road peaceful and people just come to Christ and it's just great. And Jesus says to us, you know, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. But you know what's interesting is, Paul, when you look at his life and his readings and his teachings, he almost expected some of this. What kept him going? Here's what kept him going. And here's the basis of the, one of the messages of his heart, which is relationship, relationship to Christ, not his dutiful obligation to Christ. It was his relationship. Second Corinthians 5, he says this. He says, the love... The love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. In other words, he said, I, I have encountered such great a love, even on that day when, when Jesus 
you know, spoke to him and, and kind of brought, brought him to a place of fear. In, in surrendering to Christ, he found the joy of a relationship with Christ. He said, I, I, there's a love that you know nothing about. There's a love that, 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 that if you can grab it, it will change everything about you. And the love of Christ compels me. He understood that in his life there would be struggles. I mean, you can see that in his writing as he said, I, don't, I, don't, I, I look beyond this life into the next life. I'm not, I'm not, we don't live for just this world. And so he almost expected it at times. I love his life declaration. You can find this in Acts. I'm going to show it to you here. His life declaration, Acts 20, 22 through 24. I think that this is what fueled him to do ministry. And he says this, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. You need to understand, we're going to look at that next week as the end of his life and how he finished well. But he knew that trouble was coming. He was only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Here's the word of the Lord for you. You're praying to God, okay, God, I just need a word today. I just need to be encouraged. Persecution and imprisonment are you. On your way. And you could almost again say, why did I, you know, I didn't sign up for this. But you could only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And it was out of loving God and out of loving Jesus that he said the love of Christ compelled me. And my life is really, in this, in this side of eternity, my life is really worth nothing. I want to live it for, for Christ. So he had experienced not just a dramatic encounter with Jesus, but the love of Jesus and the life that Jesus offered. It's not a life of comfort and ease, but it's a fulfilled life. It's an abundant life. It's a contented life. And that's why some of, you know, he and the other, you know, some of the other apostles that, that lived in that time, they, were, they could say, I counted joy when I endured hardship and, and, and trials. And I, 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 you know, I counted joy because I know what's beyond me. Because you know what? In this life, I get Jesus. I win. We get Jesus. He's the point. And so out of this surrendered life of Christ, a relationship with Jesus, Paul presses on this thread, this life-transforming message. It's, a, it's the gospel and not religion. It's not dutiful obligation. Religion says, I have to do this, do these, go through these hoops to get God to accept, accept me. A relationship says, I follow my needs and I surrender understanding He loves me and then He accepts me as I am. So He plants these churches all over this region where many are surrendering to Jesus sends others to establish other churches. So he becomes the spiritual father to these people who wrote letters to them. And I think that that's why we have him writing so much of the New Testament. And I think that he is kind of an apostolic father to the Christian church as we look back and what he was trying to do and what he was speaking these letters that are the bulk of the New Testament, and because Scripture is inspired, these letters aren't just for the people of the time, they are for us as Christ followers today. Scripture spans time. It wasn't just 
for the certain people of the day. This, this is God's word to us. What does it say about Scripture? I want to look at this. And if we believe this, and we believe that these words are life to us. Hebrews 4, 12, For the Word of God is alive, act, and act is sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And then 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, All Scripture is God-breathed. That's pretty powerful. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's, it's from the very heart of God to us. And it says it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it equips us for what we're supposed to do. It's God's Word to us. And if we believe that about God's Word, then we we should listen intently to what He's saying. Today, there are many who are calling the Word of God into question. It's inerrancy and it's authority. I think these two passages clear that up. Scripture's God breathed. It's written by men. Yes, it was written by men, but they were under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And if it was filled with contradictions, I can't believe that God would just leave us to our own devices to where we get to make up our own rules and pick out what applies and what we should get rid of. The Word of God should dictate us and not the other way. We should never dictate the Word. It should dictate us. Now, in the Word, there is a distinction on cultural and ceremonial law that we are not under any longer. And so you have to make that distinction, but... There is also life law that spans time and it applies all the time. And Scripture is filled with that. So with that, I want to I look at some key thoughts and passages of Paul's letters and how they speak to us. We're going to let his words, written under the inspiration of the Spirit, to speak to us and kind of pastor us today. What did he want those churches to hear? What message did he want them to grab hold of? Because he wants to speak that to our hearts. And the Word of God, and, and, and ultimately God wants to speak that into our hearts. And the speaking of the gospel of the kingdom of God into us. And so Paul, he takes this baton from the first apostles, filled with the Holy Spirit. He was the first Jewish converts. And then to Paul, into ministering to the Gentiles. And grabbing hold of it and speaking into our hearts today. God give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. So now, what I'm getting ready to do is I'm getting ready to just show you a bunch of different scriptures. And it's not an exhaustive study of each of his letters. So I'm not going to do that. We don't have time for that. I mean, I could if you guys wanted to. Nervous laugh. Do it. Because Paul was known to preach really long. And Acts, there's a story of him preaching. And he did not have, he didn't know how long he was going to be with them. So he's given them everything he's got. And they're in this room, and there's a guy sitting by the one that wasn't only hot. And so this guy named Eutychus, it's a funny story. It's not funny for Eutychus, but it's funny afterwards. But he, he's preaching all into the night. And so this guy is so tired, he falls out of the window and onto the ground below. They stop the meeting, Paul goes down, revives and prays for him, he brings him back in the room, and he keeps preaching. So don't let that little falling out dying on the street stop you from preaching. I'm going to finish this message. 
So if you're feeling sleepy, stay away from the window. There's a moral of the story, so I'm not going to go that long, creeping all through the night. Maybe all day, but not all night. So this is not an exhaustive thing. I, I, I want to I look as we move through these words, the foundation of these words were meant to point us to Christ. And, and at first of all, the foundation is that Jesus loves you deeply. And he did not leave us alone. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit that you'll know that I'm near you. And then he gives us his word to say, this, I'm going to speak to you and guide you and lead you by my word. And so it's about relationship. But Paul calls this the right living, but it's out of that deep place of love. His major messages throughout his letters were this. It's all about Jesus and his glory. First and foremost, it's all about Jesus and his glory. It's about the gospel being central. It's about the cross of Christ. Do not lose sight of that. And Paul hits on that on so many different levels. It's about the cross and it's about the gospel. That's how much Jesus loves us. His life in Christ is the best life. He does have standards that he calls us to. Paul, you know, he, Paul will revert back to saying there are standards. There are things, there are things that you need to flee from. There are, there are sins that you must repent from. But do it out of love because living for Christ is the best life. And then he reveals this continuing story over and over of God's redemption. Remember from the very beginning, God had a story of rescue and redemption. And Paul grabs hold of that and says, yes and amen, and it's for everybody. So again, we're going to look at lots of scriptures, but don't miss the heart behind it. I encourage you to get the heart behind it that, that you have ears to hear today. And so it's somewhat, you know, when you look at these letters, I'm not going to go through all of them again, so just relax. I'm not going to hit them all. Um, at, at, towards the end, we're going to look at uh, some of his end thoughts next week in some of those books. But I want to, to look at these as he talks on it's, it's almost like a how-to, how to be a Christ follower. How to be a Christian. That's why we don't need to lose sight that this is more than just scripture. These were letters. These were letters of him writing to these churches and saying, here's, here's how to follow Christ. Here's how to walk with Jesus. So it's this spiritual father, this apostolic father that is looking at the, the, the churches that planted these kind of spiritual children under him. And he says, here's what it means to follow Christ. And he's speaking these same words to us of Jesus is. How to live the spirit-filled life. So here we go. Let's look at Romans. And again, there's going to be a lot of them up there. I'm not going to sit down and read every word for word. The key passages. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. He's claiming that the gospel is the very power of God. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, we were dead in sin, Christ gave us life, and now we are alive in Christ when we submit to Him and surrender our lives. And then not be ashamed of it. Romans 1, 18-32, He warns against God's wrath and judgment. And He has some stern warnings to us. God warns us many times about that there will be a day of judgment. There will be a day where God will judge all of us. He will judge humanity. So there is a day of reckoning. There is a day of justice. But we who belong to Christ, He's already taken our judgment from us. But Paul talked a lot about this. 
judgment of those who are away from God and they do their own thing. Again, this was the message of the Old Testament, the prophets, and the Old Testament prophets would call people back to God. Remember, judges, it said that people did what was right in their own eyes. And that's what God's warning. He said, don't do it your way. Submit to life and pray. It's the best life. But when you become your own God, you make your own decisions, and you forsake Jesus, there will be a day of judgment for them. And it says this about this group in this passage. It says they traded the truth of God for a lie. Where do we do that? Again, let some of these be encouraging. Let some of them challenge you. That's what Paul did when he was writing his letters. He said, you know, here's, here's what you guys are doing well. Here's what you need to work on. You all need that. Here's what you need to repent. Here's what you're doing well. And so he said, he said, people that have turned away from God, they turned it their own way. They traded the truth of God for a lie. We must be careful not to do that. They worshiped, it says they worshiped the created instead of the creator. So, where do we find the truth about God? It's the Word of God. Anything that opposes the Word of God is something that's made up about God. It says Romans 3.23. He just wants us all to know all has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All. Everyone. There's no one that's good. There's no one that is nice enough to make it to heaven apart from Christ. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then here's the good news, Romans 5 God demonstrates His own love. Here He gets to the core message of the gospel. God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that good news? While you were at your worst, Christ gave His very best. And then He goes on, Romans 6.23. There is a payment for sin. Wages are what you earn, right? I like the way Paul even does this. The wages of sin is death. That's what you earn. That's what you deserve. And he says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You don't have to take that paycheck of death. Christ already paid it for you. And then Paul gets real honest with us in Romans 7. And he talks about the law and the sin and his own personal struggle. That's where he says, I do the things I don't want to do, and sometimes I know I need to do this, and I find myself not doing that. Have you ever been there? And he talks about this struggle. I mean, he's being very transparent and honest with us as he's speaking and fathering the church, and he's saying, I struggle. There's days I, I know I need to do this, I won't do it. There's, I know I need to stay away from that, and I find myself drifting over there. And he says this, he goes, oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me? Thanks be to God, it's in Christ. He always goes back there, doesn't he? You don't have to live in your struggle. You don't have to just say, well, it's always going to be that way. We're in a battle, but we're not alone. Because right after he said that, he then says in Romans 8, 1, says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You don't have to be condemned. That's what he's speaking to us. and He's saying, you don't have to live in shame of your past. Your past sins don't dictate you when you are in Christ. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Your past sins are your past sins. And then Romans 8, continually, he talks about life in the Spirit. How to walk in the freedom, knowing that we are children of God. Because he's talking about life in the Spirit, but then he throws in and he said, you, you received the Spirit of adoption. 
You're adopted. You are in God's family. He's chosen you. That's what adoption is. He chose you. And so you could live free knowing that you are chosen in Christ. And then Romans 8.28 goes along with what God's word this morning. And we know that all things work for good to those who love Him that are called according to purpose. Nothing is wasted. And that's why he could go through some of the hardship and the persecution and the suffering that he did because he says, I know that it's going to work for good and for the glory of Jesus. Nothing is wasted when you belong to Jesus. And in Romans 12, that famous kind of one of those how-to, it's a how-to of being a a believer. But he he talks about being a living sacrifice. You know what that means? He said, I just teach you, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices. In other words, completely surrender. Sacrifices don't live. You are a living sacrifice. It's kind of an oxymoron. You're alive, but you are surrendered to Christ. Completely given over to Him, Christianity will only be understood by unconditional surrender to Jesus. And then He talks about humility, and that's a common theme over and over. So we just went through the book of Romans. Isn't that quick? First Corinthians. He starts out about no divisions. And isn't it interesting that? Now it does spend time, the things that he dealt with then that we deal with now. That's why he, he says to them, he said, there should be no divisions among you. He calls us to unity over and over. And I dealt with that a little bit last week of how the church grows. The church grows because we love each other. They will know that we are Christians by our love. And Paul said, you know, some of you guys are saying, I'm of Apollos. And they're, they're picking their, like, their favorite preacher. Well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and, and then, you know, then you have the real spiritual ones. Well, I'm of Christ, and, and Paul says, Christ is not divided. We're all under Christ. It's about Jesus. He says, I planted Apollos water, and it was God who brought the increase. And that, that's why, as a pastor, I don't get offended if you like a pastor better than me. God blessed you. We're not in competition. There should be no divisions. And that's what Paul said. Well, I'm a bad pastor. I like him better. I like Well, that's okay. But Christ is not divided. There should be no divisions. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. The gospel. The cross is the very power of God. That's why he says it's, it's foolishness. When, when people look and scoff at Christianity, they say, why would a guy die? Why would he do that? It seems like divine child abuse and it's just weird. It's how much he loves them. It's how much he loves us. And it is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it's for us to be saved. It's the very power of God. We have no chance without it. Life change begins at the cross. Then First Corinthians in three, we talks about our foundation. Let all you do be built on the foundation of Christ. Everything that you do, your life can have a foundation of Christ. Your marriage, your kids, everything you do, your workplace, your schooling, you should be building it on the foundation of Jesus Christ and not your own strength. First Corinthians six, you have this sober call to to holiness and purity and repentance, and he lifts and sends. And he, I mean, he talks about sexual sin, and he talks about lying, and he talks about stealing, and he talks about greed, he talks about disunity, he talks about a number of things, and he says, 
He said, if you live, for those who live this way, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. He said, you need, you need to understand that is a life apart from Christ. But he goes, let's go with some of you until you turn to Christ. There's forgiveness in life in Christ. And then 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about spiritual gifts, and he talks about the church, and, and then our place in the body. Everyone has a place. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are a part of the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of it. There should be no dead parts of the body. You, you, if, you are, if you are a member of God's church, you are a member of His body, you should be a full-functioning member of the body. And a part of it. Then in 13, this famous passage of saying, but now I'm going to show you the most excellent way. And he talks about love. Our love for each other, right? And he's talking about self-sacrificial love, not not feelings of love. It's, it's called it's self-sacrificial. I will lay my life down kind of love. He says that there's nothing above that. It's the most excellent way, the foundation of which we should live our lives. Again, our marriage, our family, relationship, our church, our work. If we approach everything with self-sacrificial love, what kind of impact will we make? And then 15, uh, we talked about how we spoke the reality of the resurrection. And because of that, we have the hope of being resurrected to life with Him. Second Corinthians. Paul deals with, he said, because Jesus was raised to life, and we have the hope of being raised to life too. He says this in Second Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, therefore we do not lose heart, but outwardly we are wasting away. There's some good news for you. We're all wasting away. But yet, inwardly, we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary. This is all temporary. That's why we shouldn't get bent out of shape living in the temporary. When something doesn't go your way, or you don't like this or like that, 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 that those are the things that will kill your heart quickly. And Paul says, these things are temporary. It's all wasting away. In fact, he says our troubles and our hardships are light and momentary. I mean, this guy was beaten with rods to an inch of his life a couple of times. How can he say light and momentary? It's because he said there is a greater glory in Jesus. If you're suffering, if you're going through a hardship, you can say there is a greater glory in Jesus. It's light and it's momentary compared to him. Second Corinthians 5, this is where I, I talked about earlier, he talks about Christ's love compels us. Be compelled with the love of Jesus. When you serve, when you give up your life, when you when you go about your day, let the love of Christ compel you. Then he talks about that we're new creations in Christ in this passage. That the old is gone, the new is coming. That we're ministers of reconciliation, that we are ambassadors of Christ. We're making God's plea. And then he ends in verse 21, he says, here's why. You need to know that as you're going out and let the, let the love of Christ compel you, being an ambassador, being a minister of reconciliation, he said, because God made him who knew no sin to be sent for us, he might be called the righteousness of God, who goes back again to the base foundation of the gospel. He who knew no sin became sin. And then Second Corinthians 11 and 12, he boasts in his weakness. He has this dramatic encounter where he sees the third heaven, and he doesn't even want to describe it. And, 
And it says that God allows this thorn to come in his flesh. And we don't know what it is. Um, you know, there's all kinds of theological debate about it. I think it was a, I think it was a, uh, something that affected his flesh and some sort of infirmity. And he begs God. He says, God, please take it away. And God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is perfected in your weakness. And so then he goes, therefore, I will boast in my weakness that the power of Christ will be seen in me. Because God uses the weak things of this world to confound the wisdom of the wise. That's why I'm preaching here today. This guy does that. And he goes back and says, it's humility. I want Jesus to be seen no matter what. Galatians. Galatians 1, he talks about that there's no other gospel. This is an exclusive passage. This is kind of the, he is reiterating the I am the way, truth, and the life, the thing about Jesus. There is no other gospel. If anyone preaches another gospel, let that person be cursed. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. When I give my life to Christ and I surrender my life to Him, He lives in and through me. The true life is found in Jesus. He loves me, so I give him my life. Galatians 4, Paul reiterates the mission of Christ. And he's saying, like, don't forget, when the time had fully come, God sent a son, born of a woman. He's given us the story of redemption to redeem those under the law. He says, so that by which our spirits can cry out, Abba, Father, that covenant word of saying, like, he is my dad, and I'm adopted from him. Galatians 5 is life in the Spirit. You know that. He talks about the life and life of, life of the flesh versus life of the Spirit. The life of the flesh, he says, is contrary to the Spirit. It opposes it. Sexual immorality, here again, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, thousands, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I mean, he doesn't leave anything off the list. And he says, I, I warn you, as I did before, those who live in such a life will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's a sobering reality in the New Testament. But then he says the fruit of the Spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know what he's describing there? Jesus. When you have the life of Christ, those things, when you begin to see those things in evidence in, in your life, and then he, once again, he touches in on humility again. Galatians 6, he says, whatever you sow, you'll reap. You're going to get a return. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, that which you, that's what you will reap. So be very careful what you're sowing, what seeds you're sowing. Because he says, if you sow to please the flesh, you're going to reap destruction. But if you sow to please the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. Saying, let me Ephesians. Ephesians 2, he's saying, For it is by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourself. It is the gift of God. We are saved by grace, not works. We do, and then it says that we were created to do good works because we are God's masterpiece. But we do good works not to be saved, but we say we love Jesus. And so out of that love for him, I want to do good works and spread the gospel. But it's not of ourselves. You cannot be nice enough. And I said this, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. 
You can have all the greatest works lined up, and, and, and it will lead you to nothing unless you are committed to Christ and surrendered to His Lordship. Ephesians 3, Paul prays for, this, for the church, and ultimately, it's, it's a prayer for us that he says, again, he goes back to not, not forgetting. He said, God, I want them to be rooted and grounded in love. I want them to know the power that they have in you. And I want them to know how high, how wide, how long, and how deep the love of Jesus is. And then he ends that by saying, to him who is able to do more than we ask, we think, let, him, let all glory belong to him. It's the glory of Jesus. Ephesians 4, in case you forgot, he's talking about unity in the body of Christ again. That there's different roles, that God sets people in the different roles, and there's leadership roles, but be unified, have unity in the body of Christ, love each other. Ephesians 5, he talks about living as children of light, and then how to have spirit-led homes. Husbands, wives, parents to their children. Nothing gets left out, but how to have a how to have a spirit-filled, spirit-led home. Ephesians six, he continues to walk to talk about godly homes with parents and their kids, and then he talks about the, the armor of God. In that place where we have heard the armor of God, and what he's saying is, he, he's saying is our, our our battle, our wrestle is not against people, but we make it against people, and the enemy loves that we make it against people. That's why we turn on each other and we devour one another. He says that your fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities. It's against darkness. Don't forget that. So fight the right way. Have the armor of God. It's interesting that the weapon, the only weapon mentioned is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's how we go back and find that place and how we find Philippians winding down here. Philippians 1 is living a life worthy of the Gospel. Do you know that the Gospel is worth living for? Jesus is worth living for. Philippians 2, as Christ modeled it for us to live in humility, forsake selfish ambition. That's what he says. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think of yourself. But think of yourself in light of Christ and what he's done for you to walk in humility. And then he throws out some of these extreme statements too. And this is one of them. He says, do everything without grumbling and complaining. Isn't that hard? Another place he says in Thessalonians, give everything give thanks. This is the will of God for you. That's Paul. You mean what I'm going through? Yes. Thank God for it. And this can do everything without grumbling and complaining. Philippians 3 is this one of my favorite passages is not that I've already attained this or I've already arrived at my goal. In other words, there's a humility that you can press on to take hold of that which Christ has taken hold of me. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining forward to what is ahead. That's how we should live every day. I'm going to forget the past and I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus and I'm going to run after Him every day. That my past is gone and I have a new day in Jesus and surprise that's found in Him. Philippians 4. Someone here, don't be anxious for anything. It's another one of those statements. Good luck with that, right? Don't be, don't be anxious about anything, but in prayer and supplication, make your, make your request known to God. And you can think about the right things. Be content no matter what state you're in. 
And then he ends that thought on saying, here's how you do it. We can do all things through what? Through Christ who gives us strength. You can't do it without Him. You can't do it without Him. Last book. Colossians 1, I love this thing. He Christ is supreme. He is God. He was there at creation. It is all about Him. He puts Christ on display. He said He is preeminent. He is first. He is everything to us. And it's all about Him. And don't forget that. Colossians 3 is, that is one of the best passages on how to be a Christ follower. Here's what you should put to death. And you list again the, some of those sins that we get entangled with. And he says, put that stuff to death. But then he says, here's what to put on. And he lists kind of another listing of those fruits of the Spirit. Put on love and forgiveness. Make allowance for each other's faults. Care for one another. Walk in peace and patience. Walk before the Lord. But you're not going to be able to do it without Jesus. Get your hearts and your mind on things above. So I hope you didn't get lost in all that. I'm going to finish this. But did you, I want you to grab hold of that part of the spiritual father of the church age that we read about in the story. It's the longest chapter in the, in the story, too, because it lists a lot of these passages that I just read to you. But what does it mean to live a life of Christ, to be a Christ follower? That's why we should study this book. We should put it in our heart. It is the very words of God. It is God breathed into our spirits. How to walk with Him, how to follow Him. If you're struggling with something, I guarantee you He deals with it. And so I hope you didn't get lost again in, in a lot of words, but what did Paul do? He lived to advance the gospel. He told us how awesome it was. He told us how worth it was. It was worth the cost. He's saying there's nothing like it. I mean, he even says, you know, look at my life. You're going to have struggles. There's going to be disappointments. There's going to be hurts. There's going to be pains. There's going to be frustrations. But guess what? These are all light and momentary and compared to the glory that you have in Jesus Christ. In Christ, now we are. What, what Paul did for us, we are now called to now advance the gospel and to live the Christ. To advance the gospel to those around us, this story of rescue, this story of love, this story of redemption. And as you go out today, remember this. And again, looking at the foundation of Paul's message, number one, Jesus loves you deeply. That's why he's groaning in that prayer, going, "I want you to know how wide, how high, how deep, and how long the love of Christ is for you." Because he said, "If you could, if you could get a little piece of that, it would change everything." It will, it will change everything about your life. He loves you. He loves you so much. He gave His life for you to show you the depths of His love. And the life lived for Him is a life of no regrets. It's a life of no regrets. So as I present this today, again, I ask, what will your response be? What do you do with the information? What do you do? Where do you take it from here? And that'll be between you and God as you walk day to day with Him. Let's pray, Jesus. Lord, I, I thank you, God, that your word is alive. Your word is truth. Your word is 
breathe out from your very heart to us. And I pray God that we would not lose sight of the heart of the message to God today, even where there was a lot of words. The Lord, it was your word. I pray that we would be changed from glory to glory, that we would love you every day, that we would get up and we'd give you our lives each and every day. We would live our daily life and surrender to you. Because living a life with you and for you is worth it. And God, when we see you face to face, we will say it was worth it. God, help us to live for the greater glory that is found in Jesus. Help us, God, to spread the gospel of Jesus to everyone that we come in contact with. Lord, as individuals, as families, as a church family, God, we love you, and Lord, it's for the glory and the majesty of Jesus we pray. Amen. God bless you. Hope you have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. Have a great day today. God be with each of you.